Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking to you about intracranial hemorrhage. And you can find written notes on this topic at zerotofinals.com slash intracranial bleeds or in the neurology section of the second edition of the Zero to Finals medicine book. And you can find flashcards and questions to train your knowledge on this content and help you remember the information for longer at members.zerotofinals.com. So let's jump straight in. Intracranial hemorrhage refers to bleeding within the skull. There are four types. Extradural hemorrhage, which is bleeding between the skull and the dura mater. Subdural hemorrhage, which is bleeding between the dura mater and the arachnoid mater. Intracerebral hemorrhage, which is bleeding into the brain tissue, and subarachnoid hemorrhage, which is bleeding into the subarachnoid space. Intracerebral hemorrhage and subarachnoid hemorrhage account for 10-20% to of strokes. Extradural hemorrhage and subdural hemorrhage are not typically considered to be strokes. Let's talk about the risk factors. The risk factors for intracranial hemorrhage are head injuries, hypertension or high blood pressure, aneurysms, which are bulges in the artery walls making them prone to rupture, ischemic strokes, which can progress onto bleeding, brain tumours, thrombocytopenia, which is a low platelet count, bleeding disorders, for example, haemophilia, and anticoagulants, for example, DOAX or warfarin. Next, let's talk about the presentation. A sudden-onset headache is the key presenting feature for intracranial hemorrhage. They can also present with seizures, vomiting, reduced consciousness, and focal neurological symptoms, for example, weakness. Let's talk about the Glasgow Coma Scale. The Glasgow Coma Scale, or GCS, is a universal assessment tool for the level of consciousness. It's scored based on the eyes, verbal response and motor response. The maximum score is 15 out of 15 and the minimum score is 3 out of 15. If a patient has a Glasgow Coma Scale score of 8 out of 15 or less, they require airway support as there's a risk of airway obstruction or aspiration of fluids down into the airway, leading to hypoxia or a low oxygen and a brain injury. Let's talk about extradural hemorrhage. Extradural hemorrhage occurs between the skull and the dura mater and is usually caused by a rupture of the middle meningeal artery in the temporal parietal region. It can be associated with a fracture of the temporal bone. On a CT scan, extradural hemorrhage will have a biconvex shape and they're limited by the cranial sutures meaning they do not cross the cranial sutures, which are the points where the skull bones join together. A typical history of an extradural hemorrhage is a young patient with a traumatic head injury and an ongoing headache. They have an initial period of improved neurological symptoms and consciousness, followed by a rapid decline over hours as the hematoma or the collection of blood gets large enough to compress the intracranial contents. Next let's talk about subdural hemorrhage. 
Subdural hemorrhage occurs between the dura mater and the arachnoid mater, and it's caused by a rupture of the bridging veins in the outermost meningeal layer. On a CT scan, they have a crescent shape and they're not limited by the cranial sutures, meaning they can cross over the sutures, unlike extradural hemorrhages which are limited by the cranial sutures. Subdural hemorrhages are more common in elderly and alcoholic patients where the vessels are more fragile. Next let's talk about intracerebral hemorrhage. Intracerebral hemorrhage involves bleeding into the brain tissue. It presents similarly to an ischemic stroke with sudden onset focal neurological symptoms such as limb weakness, facial weakness, dysphasia or difficulty with speech or vision loss. Intracerebral hemorrhages can occur spontaneously or secondary to ischemic stroke, tumours or aneurysm rupture. They can occur anywhere in the brain tissue, which includes a lobar intracerebral hemorrhage, deep intracerebral hemorrhage, intraventricular hemorrhage, basal ganglia hemorrhage, or a cerebellar hemorrhage. Next, let's talk about subarachnoid hemorrhage. A subarachnoid hemorrhage involves bleeding into the subarachnoid space where the cerebrospinal fluid is located between the pia mater and the arachnoid membrane. This is usually the result of a ruptured cerebral aneurysm. The typical history of a subarachnoid hemorrhage is a sudden onset occipital headache at the back of the head which comes on during strenuous activity such as lifting weights or having sex. The sudden and severe onset leads to it being described as a thunderclap headache. Finally, let's talk about the principles of management of an intracranial hemorrhage. Immediate imaging, for example a CT scan of the head, is required to establish a diagnosis. Blood should include a full blood count for the platelets and a coagulation screen. Initial management will involve admission to a specialist stroke centre discussion with a specialist neurosurgical centre to consider surgical treatment, consider intubation, ventilation and intensive care if they have reduced consciousness, correct any clotting abnormality, for example a platelet transfusion or vitamin K for warfarin, and correct severe hypertension but avoid hypotension. When controlling the blood pressure, there's a balance between reducing bleeding and maintaining cerebral perfusion. If the blood pressure is too high, there's increased bleeding, but if it goes too low, there's reduced cerebral perfusion. Smaller bleeds may be managed conservatively with close monitoring and repeat imaging. Surgical options for treating extradural or subdural hematomas are a craniotomy, which is open surgery by removing a section of the skull, or burr holes, which are small holes drilled in the skull to drain the blood and relieve the pressure. So thanks for listening to this episode on intracranial hemorrhage. As always, a big thank you to Harry Watchman for perfectly editing the podcast. I recommend heading over to members.zerotofinals.com where you can find questions and flashcards to test yourself on the information of this podcast and check how much you've picked up and what details you've missed. 
Testing yourself also helps you remember the information much longer than just listening or reading alone. And I hope you join us for the next episode where we'll talk about subarachnoid hemorrhage.